King Charles and Kate are named over royal race allegations. A lawmaker wants to strip Harry and Meghan of their titles, and Kate's big festive project could be overshadowed again. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's chief royal correspondent, and this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the show. Now, last week's show, I recorded minutes after it first became apparent that the Dutch version of Omid Scobie's new book, Endgame, had accidentally named the so-called royal racists said by Meghan to have commented on how dark Archie's skin would be before he was born. Now, the saga since then has dominated the whole of royal reporting for a week. It has been the lens through which everything has been viewed, including Charles's visit to Dubai for COP28 and Princess Catherine and Prince William did the Royal Variety Show in Britain. All of it was overshadowed by this debate about the names of the two individuals who have been part of a conversation that Meghan described to Oprah when she said that there had been concerns and conversations about how dark her unborn child's skin might be before he was born. The atmosphere in Britain has been positively febrile. You know, there's been complete kind of personal attacks and character assassinations on Omid. There's been calls for Harry and Meghan to be stripped of their titles. There's been questions over whether the monarchy will sue, over whether this will inspire people to want to abolish the monarchy. It has been a full-blown debate, the likes of which we haven't seen since at least January. So, you know, it is, it's, it's, a, it's an era of royal reporting that is beset by these huge consuming debates, but it did feel like we were kind of in a lull, in a quiet patch, and that all changed over the last week. So first of all, let's look at what actually happened. So the first thing to know is that the Dutch version of Endgame had a different publisher to the American one. So in America, it's been published by Day Street, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. But in Holland, it was at now, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, so forgive me, but I think it's basically Zander Wietgevers. So that's wrong. Apologies. Uh, Initially, we were told that it was a translation error, um, but that kind of changed to a more general error, um, which I'll explain why in a minute. But um, the publisher said the rectified edition of Einstrid, which means Endgame in in Dutch, uh, by Omid Scobie will be in bookstores from Friday 8th December. Uh, The publisher temporarily removed the book from sale due to an error that occurred in the Dutch edition. Um, The first round of books, though, contained the names and they have been pulped. By Wednesday, though, a full-blown media frenzy was in full swing. Reporters from all the British press were dispatched to Holland to dig into how this error took place. And, you know, all the while, commentators kind of fixated on whether this might all have been an intentional publicity stunt. Uh, Obviously, all of those involved deny that. Um, But essentially, you know, it was all there. It did the rounds on social media. There were screenshots showing Charles's name initially and then um, the Princess of Wales uh, in in a different section of the book. So there were two different sections that had been translated from Dutch back into English containing the names. Now, at the same time, newsrooms around the world considered whether they could name the royals themselves, uh, at least to print the names that appeared in the Dutch edition. Uh, There is still the question of whether they're accurate. Um, Now, we we obviously had our own conversations at Newsweek, and initially we took the cautious approach uh, because we were operating in the shadow of Britain's very strict privacy laws. Um, And we have very recent precedent about just how strict those laws can be, which is Meghan's lawsuit that she brought against the Mail on Sunday over the private letter she sent her father. So I'll speak a little bit more about that in a minute. But 
First of all, back to the actual chronology. So on Wednesday night, everything changed. Piers Morgan used his talk TV show to name King Charles and Kate live on air. Um, and at the same time, he insisted that they had done nothing wrong. He says he doesn't believe any comments made were racist. And he initially, it actually seemed like he might wind up being the only one. There was like not exactly a deafening silence because there were still loads of stories being published and loads of debate taking place in England. But initially, nobody followed suit in the morning. And it was only actually towards the end of the afternoon um, that the dam finally burst. And as if to prove that print newspapers can still drive the agenda, it was when it got towards those old school print deadlines that one by one, other major outlets started to name Charles and Kate. And in the end, it covered the broadsheets, it covered the tabloids, it covered print, it covered TV. Um, And by the time everybody woke up on Friday morning, there was barely a major UK outlet that hadn't named the names. Um, So to make the crisis tougher for the palace, this all played out while Charles was in Dubai for COP28, including with his senior team. And the Prince and Princess of Wales were still in Britain. They were preparing to attend the Royal Variety performance in London, um, which they did with the Swedish royals, Prince Daniel and Princess Victoria. So I would absolutely love to know what exactly they spoke about and whether anybody dared mention the elephant in the room. But what did the two versions say? Um, So this is the Dutch version. During their conversation with Oprah, both Harry and Meghan declined to say who was present at that conversation, i.e. the one about concern over the skin colour. A representative for the couple only wanted to say that it was not the Queen or Prince Philip. I think that will be very damaging to them, Meghan said. But in those private letters, an identity was revealed and confirmed. Charles, the king, sources say, wanted to respond to make clear to Meghan that there was no ill will or bias. So the letters referenced there are letters exchanged between Charles and Meghan in the days after Oprah. So in other words, the Oprah interview went out. Um, Meghan said what she said about concerns about her unborn child's skin colour. In the aftermath, letters were exchanged between Charles and Meghan, and it is those letters that allowed Omid to get an insight into what really happened. So here's what the English version said. I think that would be very damaging to them, Meghan said, but in the pages of these private letters, two identities were revealed. Laws in the United Kingdom prevent me from reporting who they were. The king, said sources, wanted his response to make clear to Meghan that he felt there was no ill will or casual prejudice present when the two people had spoken about his future grandson. So, as you can already see, there are some um, significant differences there. It isn't simply the insertion of a name. There, there is more going on than that. And then there's a whole other section where it deals with Kate, where, where it says that Kate was present for the conversation. It doesn't necessarily say that she expressed any concern or even curiosity her, herself, but she seemed, it seems like she was there and part of that conversation. So, And actually, the English version of Omid's book says that William and Kate were aware of the conversation prior to Oprah. Um, so obviously the, you know, that I think is probably the starkest initial observation is the fact that this takes place over two sections and the fact that there are big differences, um, it makes it feel like a, an actual strict translation error is highly unlikely, as the translator has said herself. Um, she was interviewed by the, na- the Mail and she said the names were in the version she was given. Um, So initially, there was a kind of question mark over where that manuscript had come from. Um, Had it come from the US agent HarperCollins? Well, 
it's since been reported that it came from Omer's agents rather than from HarperCollins. So um, that appears to put them slightly more in the clear and it turns the attention onto United Talent Agency. Um, all in all, though, there are still major questions about how this actually happened. Now, Omid, during the initial days after it happened, did so around TV interviews in which he appeared to suggest there was never a version, never a manuscript that had the names in. And so this statement sparked a kind of frenzy of speculation about whether this was all a PR stunt by a publisher or how it could possibly have happened. It does feel, though, I think maybe Omid must have been intending to say a final draft. There had never been a final draft with the names, and maybe this was an earlier draft or something of that ilk. It just doesn't seem possible that there could never, never, never have been a draft with the names in. So was it, though? I mean, this, for me, actually, when you step back from it all, and it was a very dramatic week, and there's nothing wrong with kind of experiencing that drama and watching it play out, but if you step back from it all, in a way, the biggest question here is, was this a catastrophe? You know, was it a big disaster that names were published, as many people in Britain certainly appear to think? Or did we deserve to know the names all along? Well, what you think about that partly will probably come down to whether you are pro-monarchy, whether you're pro-the Sussexes, and all kinds of questions like that. However, I have a slightly more nuanced argument here, which I've been trying to make in the various TV rounds that I've been doing. And my perspective on this is that actually, now that the names have appeared in print somewhere, the biggest risk to the monarchy going forward is no longer the names themselves. The biggest risk to the monarchy now is actually which version of events you believe. So was it concern about how dark Meghan's child's skin might be? Or was it benign curiosity? Uh, Now, in Britain, public opinion seems to be kind of coalescing around the theory that it was benign curiosity. Uh, But actually, the situation is far from clear. And this is where I actually think it could be be beneficial for both sides to just actually clarify now what really happened and get all the facts into the public domain so we can know and understand and judge for ourselves. So what Megan said to Oprah was, so we have in tandem the conversation of he won't be given security, he's not going to be given a title, and also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. And Oprah was careful to follow up with Meghan to kind of clarify, did she mean that it would be a problem if his skin would be too brown? And Meghan said uh, that would be a safe assumption. However, when Harry joined the Oprah interview, because for those of you who watched it, you may well remember that it was in two halves. There was a section of the interview where it was Meghan by herself, and then there was a section of the interview where Meghan and Harry were being interviewed together. So when Harry came into the interview... Oprah asked him, and he said, that conversation I will never share. But he also had a slightly different version of the facts to Megan. Megan had said it had taken place while she was pregnant, so that would put it at kind of tail end of 2018 into 2019. Harry said that was right at the beginning. So also, he said simply, he was asked what was the question, and he said, what will the kids look like? So it's kind of unclear from Harry's account whether there is a specific element to the facts that has guided Meghan into into using the word concern. 
from Endgame, it would appear that Charles is very much of the view, if the account of his letter is correct, that actually there was no ill will, i.e. the monarchy's position appears to be that it was benign curiosity. So to add another layer of complexity to all this, in January, Harry gave a round of interviews to promote Spare. And there he said that Meghan had never accused the royals of racism. And he suggested that it's very common in biracial or multiracial families for the white side of the family to be curious about how dark the child's skin might be or what the child, you know, what a child's going to look like, what a baby's going to look like once they're born. But he still kind of left it as clear as mud because he didn't actually retract Megan's use of the word concern. It sounded like he was backtracking and rowing back on it, but he didn't actually say that Megan's use of the concern of the word concern was wrong. Um, he, instead, he'd simply asserted that she never accused them of racism. Now, he, she didn't use the word racism, but the trouble with Harry's account that it wasn't an allegation of racism is that Megan tied what she described as concerns about how dark his skin might be to discussions that she said had taken place over whether her children should have title, prince and princess titles and whether they should get police protection. So, in other words, she seems to be suggesting that had she been white, those discussions might not, at the very least, may not have taken place, or she felt at the time that they wouldn't have taken place had she been white. Now, if that is the case, whether it is conscious or unconscious, if it's provable then that is racial discrimination in law. But I think the key issue here is, is that actually true? You know, was it concern or was it curiosity? So like I said, the British public appears to be settling on this notion that it was curiosity, but there is nothing that's actually a formal part of the historic record to definitively state whether it's concern or curiosity. So this is why I actually think that the monarchy, it's also in the monarchy's interest to go on record and give a definitive account because in 10 or 20 years' time, the only thing people are going to remember is what Meghan said to Oprah originally. So if society is now swinging away from that interpretation, then it's in the palace's interest to cement that. On the other hand, if Harry was intending to give at the very least a partial backtrack in January when he said that there wasn't a racism allegation, and that is how it felt at the time, then, you know, he might want to also think through the fact that actually he currently hasn't actually retracted his use, uh, Megan's use of the word concern. So if that's the case, and like I said, it's still as clear as mud, but if it's the case that Harry intended to backtrack, then it could also be in him and Meghan's interests to actually formalise that and put it on the record. But either way, my personal belief actually is that there is no point in anybody hiding from this anymore. It is the most public interest aspect of the Oprah interview and of Harry and Meghan's story. And the public in Britain and in the countries around the world that count Charles as king have a right to know what really happened. So... That's my take on the kind of moral side of it. But there's still this question around the law. So why did Omid feel that he couldn't put the names in the book to begin with? Well, the instinctive position for a lot of people would probably be to assume that it's about libel and defamation, but it's actually not. The bigger legal issue here is not so much, rep- it's not so much um, reputation as privacy. But Omid's characterization of how he came to discover all of this uh, it relates to these two letters that were sent between Charles and Meghan. Now, 
there is a very high level of privacy attached to the contents of private letters in British law uh, under the Human Rights Act, which is it's actually the same in Holland because it all comes out. The Human Rights Act is the British legal version of the European Convention on Human Rights. So it's the same law in Holland as it is in Britain. Um, And that attaches a very high level of privacy to private correspondence, to letters. And we know this, very recent memory, because of Meghan's lawsuit against the Mail on Sunday. However, one thing that I would just note, and this is, I, I actually think suing for the monarchy would be a terrible idea, partly because it would make them look extremely defensive and like they were trying to hide from this issue and sweep it under the carpet, but also because I'm not actually necessarily sure that they would win. And the reason I say that is because when Meghan won that lawsuit against the Mail on Sunday, the Court of Appeal did actually suggest that it might have been lawful for the Mail on Sunday to print a very small amount of the letter uh, that Meghan sent her father. And the reason they lost the case so dramatically and definitively was because they had published reams and reams and reams of it. So therefore, publication was not considered by the court to be about the public interest. So to put, to put that in a nutshell, the Mail on Sunday's lawyers argued that they had a pub, what's called a public interest defence. The public interest isn't about what's interesting to the public, it's about what serves the good of society. So they argued that there was an inaccurate account of what the letter said that was in the public domain because of these interviews that Megan's friend had given to People magazine, um, and that they were setting the record straight, which they had the right to do because it served the public interest to correct an inaccuracy. Now, you could cut and paste that same argument into this issue about who made the comments, because apart from anything else, Various theories have been strewn about in other biographies. Um, So it would correct those, but it would also, you know, the question of whether there is um, racism or unconscious bias or whatever you might want to say in the heart of the British monarchy is an issue for democracy. So there is a public interest argument to be made. And then if you actually look at what's in the book, I mean, there are, it doesn't look like there are any direct quotes from the actual letter. It's, it's a kind of summary of the name, like the name is the only thing that comes from the letter. And even then, it's still, you know, it's still not in quotes. So I think it's hypothetically, but you know, I think it's hypothetically possible that if they did sue, they'd lose. Uh, obviously, you know, it's a total lottery uh, or it's a it's a kind of suing through the British courts. It's not a lottery. It's a game of Russian roulette where if you win, you get you might get loads of money. If you lose, you might lose your house. You know, it's it's huge amounts of money are involved in these cases. Um, but ultimately, though, I think the biggest piece of all of this is just how surprising it was that Kate was the second royal named. Now, there have been past theories put, put out in books that it was Camilla. And now, according to this, it's not. You know, according to this, that's false. So this, uh, and also, actually, I should say, I think a lot of Harry and Meghan supporters on Twitter were expecting it to be William. Um, but it, so that this inclusion of Kate's name was a massive, massive surprise. And again, I should just uh, restate that the book doesn't suggest she, ac- she actually made the comments herself, but just that she was perhaps present for it. So it's been an extremely dramatic week, and it's still all playing out. And who's to say that ground, new ground won't have been broken by next week. Who knows? I mean, it's still hypothetically possible. The the royals are still said to be considering their options, including the possibility of a lawsuit. So who knows? I might have a totally new update next week that moves the ground completely. Um, But for now, 
I'm going to leave that portion of this discussion there. More soon, though, but I'm going to take a quick break. Before I do, don't forget to rate and review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favourite shows. And when I'm back, the backlash reaches Parliament. BP added more than $70 billion to the US economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Now, it was perhaps predictable that the Backlash Against Endgame would be targeted not only, of course, at Omid, but also at Harry and Meghan. Um, so, obviously, Omid is often referred to as Meghan's mouthpiece or her puppet, or all these kinds of names. So all of that he takes massive exception to. He argues he is an independent journalist with a variety of sources who has never actually interviewed Meghan. Needless to say, none of that was ever going to stop the media storm from reaching Montecito. Um, It is also set to reach the UK Parliament because Conservative Party MP Bob Seeley says he is within weeks going to put forward a bill that would strip Harry and Meghan of their Duke and Duchess of Sussex titles. So just a little point here to explain. Harry and Meghan, some people may remember, were already stripped of honorary royal titles and patronages. Um, This was back in February 2021, but that was stuff like Harry's role as Captain General of the Royal Marines or their patronages of certain charities, they still have their Duke and Duchess of Sussex aristocratic titles. Also, potentially for the chop, would be Harry's prince title. Meghan actually is a princess. She has a princess title. She doesn't use it because it is Princess Henry, um, and so that she would have, that's what she'd have to call herself if she did. So, anyway, Seeley wrote a piece for the Mail on Sunday announcing all of this, and this is what he wrote. In the next couple of weeks, I shall present a bill in Parliament to strip the Duke and Duchess of Sussex of their royal titles. I'm not a Republican and support the monarchy, but after the latest instalment of the couple's feud with the rest of the royal family, I believe that Parliament and the Privy Council should consider a nuclear option. The Duke and Duchess can be Mr. and Mrs. like the rest of us. My Titles Deprivation 1917 Act Amendment Bill, bit of a mouthful, um, would allow a vote in Parliament to advise the ancient advisory Privy Council to strip a member of the royal family of their titles. My aim is simple. If someone doesn't want to be royal, that is a decision we respect, but they should not keep the titles and privileges They trash if they trash an institution that plays an important part in our nation's life. Now, um, my thinking with this is the basic position is that it's unlikely to succeed. Most bills proposed by backbench MPs do not succeed. They fail unless they have the backing of the government, of the prime minister, of the party in power today. Um, However, you know, there's nothing on paper anywhere now to say that the current government will support this, and they haven't done it themselves when they've always had the chance. However, There is just one slight curved ball 
outside possibility that this could happen because the current government has become quite unpredictable recently. They are absolutely getting hammered in the opinion polls. They look like they are on course to be demolished in the next election. And to give a real example of that, people will obviously not be surprised to know that some of the newspapers Harry and Meghan hate the most, like the Daily Mail and the Sun, um, are very pro the Conservative Party and very, very anti the Labour Party and have been campaigning vociferously against Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, with almost as much fervour as they have applied to Meghan and Harry, the Daily Mail in particular. However, more Sun readers are planning to vote Labour than Tory. And at the Daily Mail, something like 40% are planning to vote Tory and only 38% are planning to vote Labour. So it's, you know, just virtually as many Daily Mail readers are planning to vote for the guy they love as the guy they hate. Um, so that has created this really weird atmosphere in government where they just basically have gone around starting culture wars left, right and centre in the hope that something, anything will help to turn their fortunes around. And do not rule out definitively the possibility that the wind could just catch their sails and they could suddenly go for this um, and try to, you know, use it as a new culture war to try to kind of get themselves back into the public's good books because they're so unpopular at the moment. I'd still say the smart money would be to bet against it becoming a reality, but, you know, don't rule it out completely. Um, but that is not the only source of the backlash kind of targeting Harry and Meghan. So another story appeared in the Sunday Times over the weekend, which suggested that um, Harry has not been invited to what is being billed as the society wedding of the year. So this is the wedding of a man who he's the Duke of Westminster. His name is Hugh Grosvenor, and he is a close friend of the royals, including both Harry and William and also Charles. He is, in fact, Charles's godson. He is godfather to Prince George, and also godfather to Prince Archie, Harry's son. Um, so we didn't actually know that he was godfather to Prince Archie. That in itself is new information. Um, and that's despite the fact that we did actually have some names of Archie's godparents. So there was this whole kind of fracas around about the time that Archie was born, where Harry and Meghan didn't want the names of the godparents to be published by Kensington Palace, as is customary to do. Uh, the media at the time got quite upset about it. Um, some names leaked into the public domain. So this report in the Sunday Times suggests that there was a, an additional godparent that we never got to find out about. Um, so it's important for two reasons. One, assuming it's true, it's interesting new information in and of itself. And it's also interesting that, you know, even the leaks didn't reveal everything. That's kind of interesting in itself. Um, but also, we know that Harry believes that the palace leaks about him constantly and that anonymous source, source quotes in British newspapers actually come from palace aides. So it is highly likely that he's going to interpret this story rightly or wrongly as a fresh attack on his reputation from within the heart of the monarchy uh, and a retaliation for Omid's book. Again, you know, what did they have anything to do with Omid's book? People are going to have their own views on that subject. Some people are going to be absolutely cast iron convinced that they did. Some people will take, will kind of take Omid's side, as it were. He's kind of tried to create a little bit of distance. Um, clearly, Omid does have sources within Harry and Meghan's very close circle, though. Now, obviously, the um, the bit of the story that said that Grosvenor was Archie's godfather was important for the way that the Sunday Times' story functioned because it demonstrated that 
this information is a blow to Harry. You know, if you don't have that piece of the puzzle, then the reader might ask, well, does Harry even care? You know, how close are they? Is this a person who Harry would be disappointed at? Would he even have gone? But that bit of information, you know, that the godfather element to this claim is the kind of factual proof that the Duke of Westminster matters to Harry. Um, so that that's kind of very interesting that they were sure to get that component of the story out there, not just that Harry wasn't invited, but also that Grosvenor is Archie's godfather. So what's the reason for the lack of invitation? Well, the obvious point, of course, is that if Harry went to the wedding, William would not. Um, and potentially Charles might not either. So that means that Grosvenor and his, his fiance Olivia Henson, had to choose. Um, they appear to have chosen a future king and potentially a current king, over a royal in exile. Um, Of course, the British press have made hay with this story. Um, They are always eager uh, for any sign of the Sussexes disintegrating, and they have leapt on this with their usual um, drama and excitement. Um, Harry and Meghan have not commented so far, though. So, we, you know, who's to say that they won't wind up getting an invite into the post? I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, But right now, that is what's being put into the public domain. And on that note, I'm going to take one more quick break. But before I do, a reminder to follow me on Twitter, or X as it's now called. I'm at Jack underscore Royston. You will find all my latest stories for Newsweek. And when I'm back, will the Royals use Kate's Christmas concert to show unity? Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. Now the Royal Race Storm has blown up only days before Kate's Together at Christmas carol service on Friday. Kate puts on this concert every year at Westminster Abbey for the kind of great and good of British society and last year's was overshadowed by Harry and Meghan's Netflix show. But it was kind of overshadowed. I mean the event itself I suppose was overshadowed by this big storm cloud that was hanging over them all. But it did also give the royals a chance to put on this big display of unity in the face of new allegations from the Sussexes. So I guess it shifted the focus away from what the event was supposed to be about, which was, you know, happiness and joy and bringing everyone together for Christmas and shifted it on to how the royals were dealing with this massive scandal taking place around them. Um, This year, it almost feels a little like Groundhog Day. There's a massive Harry and Meghan-themed storm sweeping through the royal family, just as Kate is preparing for a big moment, um, and royal family members will be out to support her. However, we haven't been told exactly which ones, and there may be a reason for that, which is uh, a major difference this year is that King Charles, it looks like, won't be there to take part in any show of unity, as far as I can tell, because he will be up at Highgrove for a reception celebrating craft. Now, what's particularly interesting about this very important celebration of craft is that he's going to meet graduates of the King's Foundation's craft programme. So I can't help thinking that this is an event that he surely would have had total control over the scheduling of, and yet there's seemingly a clash with Kate's carols which is completely bonkers. 
Uh, they're on the same day. But I guess maybe trying to kind of ventriloquize for the, for the palace, they would probably say, well, even if there was a clash, the clash would have predated Omid's book. And in that respect, it wouldn't be clashing in response to it. It would just always have been a diary clash. But I mean, it's still completely bonkers to me that this diary clash exists. Any show of unity will now still have that framing because there'll be a conspicuous absence and it will be hard not to comment on that absence no matter how many other royals show up to support Kate. Especially because it is inevitable, really, that the book will still provide a focus because, you know, this is days away. It's still massive news now. It's likely to still be the big story then. Um, and check this out from the Palace press release, right? This is the, this is the Kensington Palace press release. This is what it says. Spearheaded by the princess and supported by the Royal Foundation, this service is a moment to bring people together at Christmas time and recognise those who have gone and above and beyond to help others throughout the year. So far, so normal. Linked to Her Royal Highness's Shaping Us campaign, the service will showcase the hope of new life and why it is so important to build supportive, nurturing worlds around children and the adults in their lives. Now that is exactly the kind of statement that is guaranteed to enrage Harry and Meghan because their whole case is that Meghan was not supported by the royals during the months when she was pregnant. Her lawyers actually said in a court filing that she was left unprotected while pregnant and Harry and Meghan say she was one of the most trolled people in the world in 2019, which is the year Archie was born. Now obviously she also told Oprah in March 2021 that she experienced suicidal thoughts in January 2019 while she was pregnant with Archie. Um, and that was when they were kind of asking the palace and asking uh, family members to do more to support her, both in terms of, you know, Meghan said she wanted to go to a, a kind of um, psychiatric hospital uh, of some description and um, was told by the palace that she couldn't because it would make the monarchy look bad. This is what she told Oprah. So there's a whole can of worms around whether Meghan was given a supportive, nurturing world, as Kensington Palace Press Office describes it, um, you know, as the adults in Archie's life. And part of that period was while she was pregnant, and but also even after Archie was born, she was still very, very negatively reported on in the media. Um, now, whether you think the royals should have done things differently or not is obviously a matter of opinion. People will have different views on the subject. But that statement right there digs right into the open wound that still exists for the Sussexes, and it really churns it up. So it's going to be um, interesting to see whether anything more com comes up, because, you know, it would be totally within character if there just happened to be a, a big bombshell announcement from the Sussexes of some kind on Friday, right, when everybody's getting ready to cover the uh, Kate's Carol service. They have some projects in the pipeline. Megan's kind of hinted at that. Will it happen? Who knows? Maybe there'll be none. But it would be, for me, totally within character if there was some new project or some new thing uh, that dropped on Friday, just distracting a tiny little bit more attention away from Kate. And I'm going to be very interested to see if it appears. Um, and on that note, that's it for this episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to join me every week when I visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Jack Royston. Thanks for listening, everyone, and a curtsy to you all.